privileges of being at Bible Fellowship Church is this is a mission-minded church. Uh, we have a, a good number of missionaries that we support. Most of the missionaries that we support, we have supported for a number of years. And we're excited about sending short-term teams to the mission field. And let me just pick up on what, what Devin said. Let me encourage you to think about going. Some of you are sitting there thinking, oh, I'm too old to do that. No, you're not. No, you're not. We take everybody of all ages. The first time we went to Mexico, the youngest one on our team was eight, and the oldest person on our team was 92. And it was a great trip for everybody in between and for them too. So you should think about that. You should think about going. Let me invite you to look in your Bible at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me ask you to stand while we read the word. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. And um, this is out of the NIV. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 821. And while you're going there, let me just say to you that Pastor Todd and Susan are in New York uh, celebrating Rachel's graduation from Word of Life. And so they will be back with us next week. Uh, But uh, you can pray for them. I think from what I've seen on Facebook, they're having a pretty good time. Here's what the Word of the Lord says. It says, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be toward some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for having something to say to us, dear Lord. You didn't leave us in ignorance and in darkness. You opened your mind to us. You wrote in your word all the things we need to know for life and godliness. We pray that you help us today as we look through these verses together. We pray that you'll encourage our hearts today. We pray that you'll help us today to know how to choose our words well and wisely and to use them for your glory, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Words, words, words. I think you can make an argument that the most powerful force at man's disposal is a single word. Think about it. With a word, a judge can send a criminal to his death or set him free. With a word, a general can send a thousand men into eternity or spare their lives. With a single word, a man can win a bride for a lifetime or make an enemy for a lifetime. Words are not inconsequential. Words are the most powerful force that we deal with, and we deal with that force daily, each and every one of us. If we deal with words poorly... It'll be to our real harm until we realize that words are supernatural things. 
And so it's not surprising when Paul writes to us and tells us that divinely empowered words are God's method for dealing with man's rebellion. The big idea in the passage that we're dealing with here is simply this, that the way God deals with man's rebellion on planet Earth is one way and one way only. The way he deals with human rebellion is to speak to us through his word. And with that single weapon, God intends to turn what appears to be defeat into glorious victory at the coming of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is dealing with the believers at Corinth. Paul had invested in Corinth. He had gone to Corinth after having been chased out of almost every every other place that he had been on his missionary journeys. And by the time he arrived at Corinth, he was a man who was, by his own admission that we read in 1 Corinthians, a man who stood in front of the people at Corinth trembling and with much fear and with no confidence in his own abilities. He tells us in 1 Corinthians that when he got to Corinth, he decided that he was not going to rely on his own ability, that he was going to put all of his faith into the word that he preached, which was the word about Jesus being empowered by the Holy Spirit so that the faith of the believers in Corinth would not rest on human wisdom, but on the power of God. Paul had stayed at Corinth for at least 18 months, perhaps as long as two years. In that time, the Lord had done a wonderful work of raising up a church in that place that before his arrival knew absolutely nothing of Jesus Christ. Paul had done that work. He had led the people to the Lord. He had discipled them into some level of maturity. He had picked out leaders for that place. He had, he had poured his life into that congregation. And when he felt that the congregation was able to stay on their own, he had moved on to another location. But after he had moved on, word had come back to him that there was trouble in Corinth. Because after Paul had left Corinth, there were a group of so-called super-apostles, men with, uh, who blew into town claiming to be representatives of Jesus Christ, having apparently letters of recommendation, perhaps even from the Jerusalem church, although the church had not sent them. And the first thing they did when they got to Corinth was they began to chip away at the respect of the believers for the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine? I mean, we look at the Apostle Paul today and we say, good grief, this is one of the great giants of the faith, right? Can you imagine people coming into Corinth and beginning to say things about the guy who had brought you to the Lord? And can you imagine that the Corinthians began to believe what they were told? They said things about Paul like, well, yeah, Paul is fine as far as he goes, you know. Paul is okay just as far as he goes. He, he, He gave you some idea, but... We we know this guy, Paul, and we've noticed that when he comes to a place, he doesn't doesn't have this fluidity of speech that so many of the others who come around do. He doesn't seem to reason very well, you know. He He has these things. The man cannot write a simple sentence. Everything he writes is 100 words long with no period at the end. How can that guy be? He's not a great communicator. Have you Corinthians noticed that when he writes you a letter, 
It's like he's bold as a lion, but when he's in front of you, he's like Chester Milk Toast. He just doesn't seem to have any force to him. You just better keep your eye on that guy, Paul. You better keep your eye on that guy, Paul. We're the real super apostles. We're the ones who are going to come in here, and we've got authority, and we're going to act like we've got authority. And so Paul is writing back to these believers, his precious ones in the faith, the ones that he has brought to to know Jesus Christ and formed into a church. Paul is now writing this letter back to them. And at the end of this second letter to the Corinthians, Paul is going to be forced, if you can believe it, to defend his ministry to the very people that he had won to faith in Jesus Christ. He begins here in this 10th chapter to, if we can say it in a holy way, brag on himself a little bit. And even he says over in chapter 11, now I'm foolish to do this. I speak like a foolish one, but you made it necessary for me to do this. And so Paul is writing to these believers who are in rebellion against his authority And he's going to use exactly the same weapon that God has decided to use to handle all of human rebellion anywhere. What is he going to do? He's going to speak and he's going to use words. Words are how God has decided to deal with human rebellion. This applies to us whether we're in leadership in a church or whether we're running a business or whether we're dedicated members of a single family, or whether we're members of our community, all of us have to face the fact that humanity in its natural human state has fallen into rebellion and rebellion against God. And those of us who know Jesus Christ have an obligation, and our obligation is to bring the Word of God into the situation. Eugene Peterson says that the essence of ministry is walking into a situation where people are in crisis and speaking a word that they haven't thought of, and the word is God. And every one of us have that privilege at some point in our lives, don't we? We will run into people who are in crisis. We will run into people who are in rebellion. And for all of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, we have a wonderful, wonderful privilege. Our privilege is to be able to walk into the midst of those situations, sometimes into the rubble of people's lives, and to be able to say to them, have you thought about the fact that God has something to say to you in your situation, that he loves you, and that he sent his living word, Jesus, to address your situation. And so what we're going to study today is not just uh, an interesting thing about Paul, but it's really useful to each and every one of us because all of us share in this, do we not? We just want to look briefly, and I'm not going to keep you very long. You might think that you're going to be here until the next service starts, and you might. Some of you know me. But I'll try, to, I'll try to get you out of here in time to get a donut and a cup of coffee. But before we get you out of here to do that, I want you to see three things about choosing our words and about the kind of words we use. And we'll go to school on the way Paul deals with his rebellious children in Corinth. First of all, we want to see that words, the words, the kinds of words that we use are words of humility and gentleness. Words of humility and gentleness. Look in verse 1. Paul begins by addressing these rebellious ones in the congregation. And he says to them, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I appeal to you. He says, I want to talk to you through, not in the way that your super apostles would. 
not in the way that false authority talks. False authority bullies people. False authority belittles people. False authority puts you in your place and lets you know that they're the ones in charge and that you're just a peon on the page of history that happens to be standing in front of them at that moment. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, I want to talk to you about this. I've got something I want to say to you. And I've, Paul, as a guy who's got real authority, he has authority from the Lord, but he says, I'm not going to begin by being bold towards you as I could in the Lord if I wish to. I want to come to you and I want to appeal to you with humility and with gentleness, and it's very interesting what it says here, I want to appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Jesus Christ. Dear ones, if there were ever anybody who had authority who walked the face of planet Earth, it was Jesus Christ. Could we not agree on this? Fully God, fully man, God come down to Earth, there is authority. That's authority. And yet Paul says, the thing that I've noticed about Jesus Christ is that when he was dealing with people who needed his help, his constant way of dealing with them was a way of using words of meekness and gentleness with them. Yes, we remember that Jesus Christ, when faced with his adversaries, men who had decided that they were never going to give in to him, as Tozer said, Jesus sent those guys away bleeding from every pore. We understand that. He had the authority to do that. But when Jesus was dealing with people who were lost, when Jesus was dealing with people who were deep in sin, when Jesus was dealing with people that were rebellious, he did not come to them with brutal force. He came to them with a humility and gentleness that even accepted the cross on their behalf. That even said, oh, is that what it'll take? Will it take me being nailed to a cross for you to see your need? Then I'll go. And I'll do that without opening my mouth and without complaint. And I'll let them drive the nails through my hands and through my feet. And I'll let them do this for me in humility, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. That's humility, and that's gentleness. But humanity in its natural state has a tendency to misunderstand gentleness and humility, and suppose that what's really going on there is incompetence or weakness. And Paul says, I'm going to appeal to you with the humility and gentleness of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to risk being misunderstood by doing that, but I need to do that because this is God's working method for dealing with those who have wandered off on planet Earth. This principle of people misunderstanding God's graciousness and God's humility is shown to us in 2 Peter chapter 3. If you've got time, look, go with me there. 2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to look at verse 3, and we're going to read down to 10, because here's another example of this, of the humility of God and the gentleness of God in dealing with humanity being misunderstood. It says in verse 3 of 2 Peter chapter 3, first of all, this is Peter writing to the believers. It says, first of all, you have to understand, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come. Scoffing and following their own evil desires. And they will say, where is this coming 
that he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Jesus had promised, I will come again. And Peter says, writing to the believers, listen, in the last days, and the last days go from the ascension of Jesus Christ until Jesus comes again. The church is in the last days, always has been, ever since Jesus went back into heaven. In the last days, scoffers will come and they will say, well, where is the promise of his, of his coming? He said he was going to come, and he hasn't come back. So he must either be too weak to come back, or perhaps he was just mistaken and incompetent in what he said. And Peter says, no, that's not what the deal is. You don't understand what the deal is. It isn't that God is weak and it isn't that God is incompetent. It is that God is patient and that God is caring. Look what he says a little farther down. In verse 8, he says to us, do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some count slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Here is the secret of God's humility. Here is the secret of God's gentleness. Do you know why he's so humble when he deals with us with his words? Why he waits for us to respond? It is because he loves us and is patient with us and it gives us plenty of opportunity to be able to repent and come to a knowledge of the truth. Don't miss what it also says in verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come. The patience of God is not inexhaustible. There will come a time when God will judge the earth. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Peter says, yes, the Lord is patient. Yes, the Lord is kind to us. Yes, the Lord is waiting for us to say yes to his very gracious and generous offer. But do not fool yourself into thinking that it will be that way forever. There will come a day when the last offer will have been made, and the trump will sound, and Jesus will come, and the curtain will come down on humanity, and every one of us will have to give an account for what we did with his son, Jesus. There is the humility and gentleness, but there's also the warning factor. And back over in 2 Corinthians 10, we find that that's exactly what Paul did as well. He said, I'm going to appeal to you with meekness and gentleness, but I am going to come. And when I come, the meekness and gentleness, the time for that will be over with. But he emphasizes, he begins by emphasizing that meekness and gentleness of words are God's way of dealing with humanity's rebellion. A soft answer does indeed turn away wrath. When my wife and I and our kids lived in Bolivia, in South America, we did a lot of walking. We did a lot of walking for a very good reason. We did not have a car. And I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but if you don't have a car, transportation does not happen by telepathy. Have you noticed that? You've got to get out and you've got to get around. So we used public transportation, and we did a lot of walking in the streets. And when you were walking through neighborhoods, uh, there would be dogs in the street that were just street dogs is what they were. And those street dogs would come after you with some determination in their eyes. And there were two things you could do. 
One of the things you could do that every street dog in Bolivia recognized that he did not want to tangle with was a man with a rock in his hand. And so one of the ways that you could deal with the street dogs when they started coming towards you was to reach down and pick up a rock. You really didn't even have to pick up a rock. You just had to pretend you were picking up a rock, and the dog would like that. That's the human way of dealing with it, isn't it? Force meets force. That's the way humanity deals with it. God says, no, I deal with it another way. The other way you could deal with that dog was to speak gently to them. Because even with dogs, a soft answer really does turn away wrath. There were many times when I would speak with a low voice to a dog or a gentle voice with a dog, and the dog would lose interest in, in us. And isn't that kind of the way God deals with us? He deals with us gently. He comes to us with the soft word, the kind offer, the offer of grace. The offer saying, I've done everything possible for you. I've, I've paid the price. My son has come and bled his life out for you. Come and know me. Come into my presence. Be received. Be welcome. It's the offer of God. Some of us who are the sons of thunder need to know that you get a whole lot more with gentle words than you will with forceful words. I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to go off like a cannon. I mean, when somebody crosses my will and when, when I am, when I am uh, aggravated about something, I, my mouth can become a vicious weapon. Do you know what I've noticed? Never, ever, ever does it help. Never, ever does it help. I wonder how we use our words with the people around us in our, in our world, whether it be family or workers, people in the church. I wonder how we use our words. Do we understand that a soft answer is God's way of dealing with rebellious humanity? Second thing that Paul says, he says this in verses 2 and 3. He says, I'm not going to come using uh, normal words. I'm going to come using words that are out of this world. I'm going to use out-of-this-world words. He says in verse 2, I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be toward some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. No, no, no. For though we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons of the, of we fight with are not the weapons of this world. Paul says, I'm going to come to you. I'm going to deal with your rebellion. I'm giving you an offer. But when I come, I want you to know that the words that I'm going to bring are not going to be normal human words. I'm going to come and I'm going to use words whose power source is outside of this world. I'm going to use language that's out of this world in order to confront your rebellion. That also is mirroring the way God does it. Have you noticed that when God wanted to settle the issue of sin for humanity, He sent the living word, Jesus. John tells us Jesus is the logos, the word. You remember that famous passage from the first chapter of John where he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then a little farther down he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten son of the father, full of grace and truth. Have you realized that when God wants to change the situation, he doesn't use normal human words to do it. 
He brings words from another world to address it. And his son is the ultimate word from another world that addresses humanity's fallenness. Jesus Christ, the living word, became flesh and dwelt among us. I wonder if we realize that in order for humanity's rebellion to be cured, there has to be an unseen power from another world that enters in to address the problem. There is such a thing, you've heard examples of this, as uh, examples of superhuman strength. For example, in 1982 in Lawrenceville, Georgia, Tony Cavallo was repairing a 1964 Chevy Impala Auto from underneath. The vehicle was propped up on jacks, but it fell. Cavallo's mother, Mrs. Angela Cavallo, lifted the car high enough and long enough for two neighbors to replace the jack and pull Tony from beneath the car. That's an interesting picture, isn't it? You say, well, that's unusual. Well, it's not that unusual. In 2006, in a town in Quebec, a resident by the name of Lydia Anjou saved several children by fighting a polar bear with her bare hands until a local hunter shot it. That's pretty, pretty impressive, isn't it? She must have been kind of like David, fighting Goliath, don't you think? Well, what about this one? In 2009, in Ottawa, Kansas, a 5'7", 185-pound Nick Harris lifted a mercury sedan to help a six-year-old girl who was pinned beneath it. And then just so you don't miss the point, in 2013 in Oregon, teenage sisters Hannah, age 16, and Haley, age 14, lifted a tractor to save their father who was pinned underneath Now, let me ask you a question. You're all intelligent people. You can think this through. Do you think that two 16-year-old girls have got the physical strength to lift a tractor? In what universe? I mean, show them some kryptonite, right? That doesn't work. That doesn't happen. I mean, an emergency does not suspend the laws of physics and mechanics. If my bones and my muscles are designed to only be able to take a certain amount of weight and tension, then no emergency is somehow going to put strength into my body so that I can do that. Would you agree? And especially standing up here looking at me, you would agree. Let me tell you something, folks. It happens every day that world power from another world enters into our world in order to save humanity. Right? Don't you think that it's more likely that instead of those girls suddenly being strengthened to lift a tractor, that the angels of God were standing on either side of them doing the heavy lifting? I think it's a lot more likely, don't you? And in just that same way, when God wants to do the heavy lifting of dealing with man's rebellion and man's sinfulness, he sends an unseen power from another world. Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, came to earth and took on a human body in order to call us into rescue, in order to provide the strength that we need. Some of us need to understand that the strength to cure the situation is not going to happen, whatever the situation of rebellion is, is not going to happen through human methods or human schemes, clever ideas. It's not going to happen that way. God fixes the problem. 
of human rebellion by entering into the problem himself, taking it on his own shoulders, and providing the strength that's necessary. Paul also tells us, and we're almost done, don't worry, your donut is on the way. He tells us in verses 4 through 6 that the words that, that are used to deal with human rebellion are simply words that are divinely empowered. He says in verse 4, the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have a divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul says, the way that God does this, the way that God addresses this is, he not only uses words of gentleness that offer humanity the opportunity to come to repentance, he not only enters in himself to the world, the origin of these words come from outside of humanity into our world, but he says, when those words come, they come with unusual power. They come with a spiritual power. You know that, don't you? If you've ever heard the call of Jesus Christ, if there was a time in your life when somehow you realized that contrary to everything you had believed previously, you realized that you were a sinner in need of the grace of God, may I just say to you that you have experienced what we're talking about. Because that message that we are lost in our sin and can do nothing in our own strength and in our own power to rescue us, the understanding that that is true in my case, it's very easy for me to believe that about everybody else. Listen, folks, I can look at you and tell you're sinners. You can look at me and tell I'm a sinner. That's not the hard part. The hard part is for me to look in the mirror and tell that I'm a sinner. The hard part is for you to look at you in the mirror and tell you're a sinner. And can I just say something to you? If there's ever been a time when you looked in the mirror and you knew what the truth was, that didn't happen because you were clever enough to figure it out. It happened because God brought his word to you with power from on high that changed your opinion of yourself as it changed my opinion of myself one day. That was a terrible day, and it was a blessed day. It's a terrible day because finally we stopped being fooled about who we are. And nobody likes that. We don't like, we don't like to stop being fooled about who we are, do we? But it's a blessed day, too. Because on the same day that we find out that who we are is not going to be adequate to ensure our salvation, on that same day, God says, that's right, but I've got a way. I've got a way for you to do it. I've got a way for you to come in. We need to know that if we're relying on our own strength, it's not going to get us there. We need supernatural strength to win the supernatural battle. And God brings us that strength. So what are we going to do with this? What's our conclusion? I've been speaking mostly today to those who know Christ, talking to us about how we use words, but I want to finish by speaking to a different, different listener. I want to conclude by speaking to the listener who's been coming here for weeks, months, maybe even years, listening to the gospel, but you're just not sure. You're just not sure you're ready to do this. You're not sure that you believe it. You're not sure about whether it's for you or not. And I just want to say 
three things to you today as we close. The first thing I want to say to you is that the patience of Jesus Christ is with us while he waits for us to come to repentance. How very long the Lord has had to wait for some of us for the message to become clear that we're lost people who need a Savior. And yet, in the patience of God, in the patience of God, He allows it to go on a little longer, waiting for you to see your need. May I just say gently to you today that God's patience has come to you because He loves you. But I need to gently remind you as a pastor who is responsible for your souls that His patience is not inexhaustible and there will come a day there will come a day when you will have to answer. May I say to you today, do not exhaust the patience of God. Don't exhaust the patience of God. Let me give you a second fact to be taken into account also. The fact is that the Bible is God speaking to you from heaven. We said that there has to be a word from another world that brings us the good news. May I say to you, here is the word from another world that brings you the good news. Every time you open a Bible, every time you walk into this place, Pastor Todd opens a Bible, begins to talk to you. Do you know that you're hearing something that's come from another world? Do you know that heaven has come down to earth and entered into humanity's crisis in order to bring the good news to you? Listen to the word from another world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Help me. See, you don't even need a preacher. You've been here so long that you already know it. You know it's for you today. You know it's for you. And then the last thing, the reality is that you will not be able to save yourself. You will not be able to save yourself. You cannot do this. All of humanity waits for us to be able to save ourselves. We want to be our own savior. But the plain fact of the matter is none of us have got the horses to do that. If we don't have power from another world, it's not going to happen. And may I just say to you today that if you've been wondering whether or not you should do that, take it from me, you should. And can I say to you today that God is ready to save you, that God is ready to bring you to himself, that he's ready to extend that grace to you if you don't already know him today. Today would be a wonderful day to do that. Down the center hall of uh, this door behind us. You go down there to the first door on the left after this service is over, there are going to be some people that are down there that would love to graciously and gently show you how you can come to faith in Jesus Christ if you've never done that. They're there every week, and they quietly do the work of the ministry, and we appreciate them. You could take advantage of that to know that today. And by the way, the people that are down there every week are not just there for the folks who want to get saved, although we'd love to do that. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and life has overwhelmed you and you just want somebody to pray with you and you want somebody to point you toward resources for how you could get some help, that same offer is there for you, the people in that ministry. You can't miss them. When you walk down the hall, there's a little sign over the door that says, What's next? Let me tell you what's next. Jesus is next.
me invite you to think seriously about your need today. If you need to know the Savior, we can help you with that. If you need somebody to pray with you, we can help you with that. Take it as a word from heaven. Help has come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you didn't leave us in our darkness. We thank you that you didn't leave us in ignorance. You gave your son to come and speak your final and ultimate word. And the final and ultimate word is God loves the lost. He loves those who are in rebellion and he wants to save them. Help us today to take to heart your gracious offer. For we ask it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.